Hello and welcome to the Evergreen Way podcast, where we explore how to be a healthy leader for the long haul. My name is Andy Needham and I get to serve on the team with Converge Northeast. You know, to be a, a ministry leader for the long haul, which means to be a ministry for decades at a time, there are going to be moments of transition. That could be transition in your family. We're going through some of those things right now with kids going to college and getting ready for those things. Those could be transitions in terms of where you live, buying a house. Those could be transitions of the context and place that you do ministry. And I know coming out of the pandemic, a lot of us have been asking the question, is this where I'm called to do ministry for the long haul? Today, I'm going to bring you a conversation with my friend, Josh Reich. And Josh moved his family for all the way from Arizona to the South Shore of Massachusetts in the last couple of years. And he is really an incredible leader. And we have a conversation about how to consider, how to process, and how to think about whether or not God is calling us to a transition. And I have to say, there are some things that come up in this conversation that are often neglected, things that we easily overlook when we're thinking about transitions. Again, I want to invite you to our Evergreen One Day, a one-day gathering all about the soul of your leadership, the things that we talk about here on the Evergreen Way podcast. The Evergreen One Day is coming up June 21st in Avon, Connecticut. And we've made this day incredibly affordable and accessible to you, but I want to let you know that right around the time of this podcast release, rates are about to increase. And so we're coming up on about 30 days out from our event. And so we're going to have a price increase. So go ahead and lock in your tickets for this. We have limited capacity and we would love to have you at this day. This is a day in classrooms, in conversation with incredible leaders, many of whom keynote large conferences, but you're getting access to sort of a masterclass dialogue-based teaching model. And it is going to be just an incredible day to help you continue in your journey as a healthy leader. Go to convergenortheast.org to find out more, convergenortheast.org, or follow the links at our social media, Instagram and Facebook. You can find Converge Northeast. Well, let's jump right in to our conversation with Josh Wright. Today, I get to bring you a great conversation with my friend, Josh Wright, who is in down on the South Shore of Massachusetts, really right near, closer to Providence, really, Josh, isn't that true? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, way that's closer you, to Providence than Boston, so. That's where all the good food is, from what I hear, and you, you're, yeah, that, that'd be a whole other podcast we could do, is all the great places to eat in Providence, but uh, yep. thanks for jumping on today, and could you kind of give a little background for the listeners of... Uh, not just you're near Providence, but where are you serving? What are you doing in, uh, yeah. down in the Rehoboth area? Yeah, so we are about 10, 15 minutes outside of Providence. I am the lead pastor at Community Covenant Church. Uh, we have been here for about 20 months now. Uh, so we are brand new to the Northeast. Uh, we had spent 15 years um, in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, my wife and I, with a group of people, planted a church back in 08, um, which at the time we had no idea was not an ideal time to plant a church, but um, we did, and God was gracious, and we made it through uh, just that season. And yeah, so we we have five kids, and so transitioning across the country was quite the ordeal, um, and just trying to navigate all of those ins and outs and figuring out the new new schools and new places. But um, yeah, the church we're at is about fifty two years old, um, which by New England standards is pretty young. Um, but it also is a church in transition, like pretty much every church in America coming out of COVID. So you, you already mentioned one piece of this too, but I think it's interesting. Uh, talk to me a little bit more about your time in Tucson and the, the kind of led up to that. Uh, what were you doing before your church planted? Like, how did that idea come? And then I know church planting wasn't the final stop before Massachusetts. Yeah. So I knew probably, so when I was 21, I interned at Willow Creek. And sitting in one of their church leadership conferences, um, I could take you to the exact seat in the Lakeside Auditorium where I just had this experience where I just felt like God was telling me, you're going to plant a church one day. And so it was always kind of on my radar. Um, and I, but I was doing student ministry up until the time I was 28 when we planted. And really, that was where I 
you know, learned how to do ministry, um, tried to figure out how to lead people on, and all that, learned how to preach, preached awful sermons, um, you know, in those, in those years. Um, but yeah, when we moved to Tucson, we actually moved there to pastor an established church that we ended up closing down and starting revolution really out of the ashes of that church. Um, so we kind of backed our way into church planting. Um, you know, we had moved there thinking we're planting a church. Um, so that was a whole different kind of transition than we expected. Wow. And then again, you, uh, that church, eventually you ended up on staff at, uh, a larger church in a teaching role too. So you've got, uh, You've been in youth ministry, church planter, established large church, all outside of a post-Christian context. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then now here in the Northeast. Yeah. So when we, so in 2019, um, there was a large church in Tucson called Pantano Christian Church that was going multi-site. And I had been in a covenant group with the lead pastor of Pantano. Um, so him and I had known each other since we moved there. He had been a mentor of mine. And so they were looking to put a campus uh, pretty close to where revolution was. And so him and I just spent, um, just months talking and praying through what it would look like for us to become their first campus. Um, and so we actually merged with them in January of 2020. And the plan was for us to, uh, we had, we had a plan of launching multiple campuses around the city. Uh, but then COVID hit. And so I moved from being a lead pastor to being a campus pastor to then being the teaching pastor um, during COVID and really just overseeing all the, uh, just the content of the sermon series, the engagement, um, how we created resources for people online. So um, yeah. And then in the midst of that, um, which is probably what we'll kind of get into a little bit more in the midst of that, um, it just really felt like it was our time to move on from Tucson. We had gone through a succession process at Pantano um, and really it was just not the right fit for us, um, for a number of different reasons, um, and found our way through a bunch of hoops and steps to new England. <laughs> so we're going to spend the bulk of our time talking about personal transitions, but can we just spend a, a second here? Cause I think there's a, a courage and, um, to talk about you planted a church and then, uh, and you, I mean, I, I've heard you preach. You're a great leader, but you also have the courage to say, "Hey, maybe the best outcome for the future of this community is not necessarily that we, that we'd actually become a part of a different different fellowship." Yeah. So, how did you kind of deal with your own, um, you know, your own story in that, and then also like lead the people through that being the best you know outcome for the future? Because I think I I think there's more of those adoption stories that need to happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think. So part of it was, for us, it was what we could do together. So the vision of Revolution, the vision of Pantano was really similar and just how we wanted to impact the city. Um, one of the things I always tell people when they're talking about merging is you really have to understand that there will be a culture that wins the day when two churches become one. You don't just become a whole new church. And so, you know, that was, I think that was more difficult than I expected it to be. Um, and so, you know, for me personally, some of it had to do with just questions I was wrestling with personally in terms of like, do I want to be the lead guy? You know, do, do I have the energy to do what's next for our church? So part of it for us was the next step of revolution was doing a building campaign. And um, just by God's grace, I mean, if we would have started a building campaign at the beginning of 2020, um, you know, but part of it was, I was just kind of sitting there going, do I have the energy for this? Like, do I have the bandwidth to like jump into a five-year project? Um, and, and so, so some of it was just kind of personal in that way. But I think for me, being able to find somebody that I could work alongside of. And so a lot of it then was just conversations with people in our church, um, and helping them to see how this could be a good thing. Um, how this could be a kingdom win, um, you know, but I, I do think one of the big challenges that people overlook in merges is how they bring two cultures and staffs together. Um, because you do become a new thing. Um, it's not just bringing in like, you know, a new family kind of a thing. But yeah, it is. It, there's a lot to that. And uh, but I do think it is a good thing if done well. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a whole other conversation. Too. Like we've we've had uh, churches in our movement that have been in those conversations, and I, I tell them those like two of my core principles are one, 
there's always a, a lead uh, and a and a follow in terms of culture. Again, doesn't mean that the other one goes away, but that has to be true. And a lot of times in pie in the sky, when we're talking just abstractly until we get to bare bone, like the actual nuts and bolts, we feel that that's yeah. not true. And then the second mm-hmm. thing is just to to go slow and ask the questions now, because, you know, that's yeah. kind of my two principles on, on mergers to at least get people started to think about that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So let's pivot, though, on the personal side uh, of it, too. Um, you know, you are Arizona is not Massachusetts. Um, I don't yeah. know if people have told you that probably told you that too, <laughs> too much. Um, and there's a lot, I, I would like to talk some of the cultural side, but let's talk on the personal side of decision-making. Yeah. Um, you know, almost every pastor on a Monday, a couple times a year, if not more is thinking, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Um, uh, that's yep. normal. Um, and some of us even write our resignation letters occasionally. Um, but that's yep. not necessarily a process or a spirit led, uh, discernment, uh, process. How do you kind of think about that? What have you learned? What have you done well? What have you done wrong and kind of learned? From yeah. It? Yeah. I mean, so our process with leaving Tucson really probably began about five years before we left. Um, and we were at a conference uh, with Crosspoint Ministries and they, it was called the Leader's Journey. It was this big three-year thing that they did for uh, pastoral couples just on how to like not burn out, how to be healthy. But one of the things, and this is really what started our process, one of the things they talked about towards the end of those three years was they talked about the power of place. And they said that within each of us is just this desire for a place that we feel most alive, you know, either like in the mountains at the beach, you know, we feel most alive, you know, with seasons. The one guy talked about how he bought his family farm um, and, and like his place was, you know, in the rolling hills of Tennessee, the other guy was like, my place is, you know, downtown Chicago. And so when my wife, Katie and I got back on the plane and, um, you know, we were kind of debriefing about it. I looked at her and I said, I don't know that Tucson's our place. And, and it was, and some of it was, some of it was cultural. Some of it was like just how Tucson like lived, you know, how the culture of the city, you know, Tucson's a very laid back uh, city it's it's not a driving kind of type A type city. Um, and so like some of it was that culture. Some of it was just we grew up in places with four seasons. And so we had always kind of just lamented and grieved that our kids didn't have the same childhood that we did. Like there's no grass in Tucson. So like the, our yard is, a, is rocks. We're playing football on our street. Like So just even those little things where like we heard Pete and Jerry Scazzaro just talk about how they... Like they had to grieve that their kids like had a different upbringing in, in Queens than they did. And so, you know, we even just had to go like, okay, well maybe this is like, this is just life. And so, so we just started like at that point, just kind of praying through that, you know, uh, we were like, okay, if we could move somewhere, where would we move? You know, what would that look like? And so we started to really dig into what is our place. Um, and nothing really came from that. Nothing really opened up with that. And so I actually then spent a year praying that I would be more content in Tucson. Um, we spent a year where our prayer was, my word for the year was contentment. And um, we just said, God, give us a love for Tucson. Like, give us a love for the people. Because um, some of it was, you know, you kind of have to wrestle through it too. Like, am I just tired? Like, am I just getting, yes. like, am I running out of steam? Like, you know, I had been at Revolution at that point for almost a decade. And so you're just kind of like, maybe I'm just tired. Like maybe I need a sabbatical. Like maybe, you know, I don't have any new sermon ideas. Like, so, so some of it is just kind of like dealing with some of that angst. You know, I was in my late thirties. And so, you know, looking back, you know, I think for a lot of, a lot of men, I I don't know for women, but for a lot of men, you, you hit this like season in your late thirties into your early, early forties where you're just kind of like, is this it? Like, is this life? This is what, this is what it's going to be like now. And so there is a contentment piece to that. Um, and, and I think too, like in church planting circles, you go to all these conferences and everyone's in the big sexy city, you know, they're in Denver and Portland and you're just like, I'm in Tucson. And I had, you know, I had to, every place I went to for a conference, I had to like, I had to have a layover because of how small Tucson was, you know? So like, I just felt like less than because I was in Tucson and, and like, but that was a heart battle that I had to do. Mm. And so... You know, so one of the things that was really helpful to us is we read a book called American Nations, um, which is um, written by a historian about how America was settled by 11 different nations and just how those nations still impact how they vote, do school, government, everything. 
And so we read, we read through that and actually listed out places we did not want to live. Um, cause we had more of those than places we did want to live. And so, but that was helpful because, and I actually then, you know, reached out to pastors in those areas to say, Hey, like, is this true? Like, so I was trying to learn, like, what are places like, um, because America is not, you know, all the same. And, and even the difference between Phoenix and Tucson, which are two hours apart, were drastically different in their cultures. So we always tell people, you really need to dig into the power of place because we think that's a pretty big thing because like there are people who love Tucson. They love the ethos of Tucson and, and they are perfect fits for that culture and they preach to that culture. Well, um, we moved to Massachusetts. The moment that I came here to candidate, I was like, this feels like home like it. And, but that is, we wanted seasons, um, Massachusetts and New England is more of is a driven kind of educational culture, which is who I am. But then also, um, it's not it's not an overly friendly culture. <laughs> you know, like I always joke that people in New England are like the uh, the Tootsie Roll pop commercial where like how many licks does it take to get to the center? <laughs> like if you can get through the hard hardcore, like get to the gooey center. That's New England, yeah. but like you know, that is kind of more of just kind of our culture. And so I think the power of place is a massive thing as you think about where to be, where to plant, um, you know, because that place is going to influence the culture. It's going to influence how you preach. It's going to influ- influence like the needs that people have. Um, Cause there's so many different things that we've run into here, just differences between the West coast and the East coast and how that's played out in ministry. So, yeah. It's a massive, uh, truth that you outline. I mean, I wonder how many leaders are are living in perpetual frustration and wondering why their their style of preaching is not connecting. And part of it is that they haven't really evaluated, is this where God has called me to serve? Not yeah. just this church, but like this ethos of people and this culture. And, you know, someone who's born and raised in New England, like I, I'm very careful to say, you do not have to be from around here to do ministry here. But you do have to know and understand and like you said, kind of learn what you're stepping into and understand yeah. the ethos and the culture and the idols and the you know the good things about it and the bad things about it. And the people who don't take the time to evaluate that tend to turn tail and end up back mm-hmm. in Tucson. Um, yep. And the people who do, you know, I have lots of friends who are love, love the Northeast and are thriving here. Um, but even the definition of thriving is going to be a different reality because yeah. of what church life life looks like. And, you know, it's such yeah. a such an important, important thing too. you know, um, I would add on one other thing that I've noticed in, in my experience. I'd be curious if this resonates with you, too. I notice I think everybody's different in this, but I have a three year rhythm where I if I don't redefine my reality and my objectives, I get bored and my tendency is to want to shift. Um, and so I, I, part of it is I'm, I'm wired as an entrepreneurial person and, uh, like it, it's, it's nice when you get into your late thirties and like early forties, cause you have enough of a resume that you can look like, I was, I was looking at my resume. I'm like three and a half years, three years, you know, like, <laughs> um, yeah. and, um, what helped me actually, it was in my last role. Uh, I got to that three year mark and I just said, okay, God is calling me to stay, but he's calling me to reframe my reality yeah. of responsibility. And so that's just another thing that I don't know if, yeah. if you've observed that in your, that there's a season at like the seasonality and yeah. cycles and rhythms that can influence the way that we feel or see our leadership uh, yeah. paradigm. Well, I think for me, like, I don't know that it's a three year thing. Cause we were in Tucson for 15 years and <laughs> you're, you're way more friend, advanced than I am. <laughs> well, so like, but we had a, we had a guy on, on our staff who's a fixer. And so like he came and he literally came to me one day and he just said, Hey, like, there's nothing left for me to fix. So he's like, I'm kind of done. And because he, he knew that he just liked to fix things. And so like for us, one of the things that we learned as we went through the succession process with Pantano and talked to other churches was uh, my wife, Katie and I, we're builders. We want, mm. we like to build things. And so that's different than fixing things. Um, and so a lot of the churches that we talk to, especially in succession processes, if they're a larger church, most of them were looking for somebody to come in and just kind of keep the status quo going and keep things moving. Yep. And that's not me at all. 
And so we, we began asking questions around that um, to find out if a place was looking for a builder or a maintainer. And, and I think it's really important as you start to look at churches, because you can, you can talk yourself into all kinds of bad jobs and, <laughs> you know, and you can talk yourself into hiring bad people, you know, and not bad people, but just people who don't fit you. Like, and, and so really discerning, are are you a, a builder, a fixer, an entrepreneurial person, like who wants to start things and then pass things off? Like, and I'm sure there's lots of other categories, but but really understanding that part of who you are um, helped us really discern as we were talking to churches um, because it is easy. Oh, this, you know, this church of 1500 people wants me or like, that seems like such a cool place to do ministry or we could live by the beach. Like you can talk yourself into all kinds of things that actually are not a fit for, for your wiring. Um, or your leadership style. Um, and so that was that was the thing that really stood out to us as we went through that process. Yeah, I do want to clarify that I feel like God's, I'm not leaving my job in three years. So if anybody's listening to that, it's not going to happen. Uh, no, and, and that's the part, but it, it has been learning. I, the reason I mentioned that is like you said, sometimes the beach becomes the allure. We're not asking the right questions. Yeah. For me, that's been one of those things that I when I get to three years, I have a, a, a lack of, uh, I'm, I have unrest in me and that unrest could mm-hmm. lead me easily to pursue a change when really that's not yeah. what God's calling me to do. So that's why yeah. I'm giving you credit for asking the right questions and saying I'm asking the wrong ones. Um, so. <laughs> well, I think too, like you can even, I mean, you can even find out in your job, like, okay, how do I, you know, so as a builder, like, is there something else that I can start to build? Yes. Like that's even here. Like, so sometimes you don't even have to go look for it. You just need to figure out how to how to tweak what you're doing where you are. Like I see lots of people leave jobs, and I'm like, you you could have like made your job description more what you wanted, or or find something outside of your church or business that that would maybe scratch that itch. That's kind of like a side thing. And so I, I think we just could kind of narrow. And we're like, oh well, I've got to leave now, and you don't always have to. Yeah, and kind of what we're driving at here is like when we feel that discontentment discerning is it holy discontentment is god calling us to yeah. to leave and so on that on that note um you know you and katie um obviously had to process these things together you have you said you have yeah. five kids there's a yeah. fight and, and even the stage of your your life i know for us when we moved from when our kids were two and four it was a lot different than when our kids were in high school yeah. so how yeah. have you navigated yeah. those changes on the family side yeah. So I, I, we talked to a lot of different people about, you know, do you talk to your kids? Like when you bring your kids into this process and, and we heard everything. I mean, we had people who told us, we tell our kids about every single job opportunity we were praying through um, and they were praying with us. And, and we just felt like that was a lot for them to, to, to shoulder um, because it is a roller coaster ride. I mean, there were, there were nights during, you know, the interview process where I had three interviews a, a night, you know, it was back to back to back. And, you know, and so it is, it's just hard to know that. And so we actually kept it from our kids. I think they were kind of picking up like, man, why is dad on zoom calls all the time? Like, why, you know, um, but we waited until, so like when we came here to candidate in Massachusetts, we actually um, told our three youngest kids on Sunday night after church. And we got on a plane Wednesday morning. Um, and so that was, you know, our three youngest kids found out we were going to Massachusetts three days later. So that was how we chose to do it. I think it it just depends on your kids. Um, you know, it depends on their age, you know, how well they can handle that. We'll throw them for a loop. Like how involved are they at at their school? You know, how much is this going to disrupt their life? I mean, those are all things that we talk through, um, with our kids, um, you know, just as we thought through it and kind of process through it. Um, you know, we would ask our kids things like, Hey, if you guys could live anywhere, like, where would you want to live? Like, so we would ask things like that at our, you know, at our dinner table, like kind of dreaming about it. Like, Oh, if you could like live in any state or like, you know, be near something, just trying to, to gauge like what mattered to them. Um, you know, I, I think for us, it helped that Tucson was a very transient city. So our kids had friends who moved all the time. Um, you know, it was an air force city. And so we, you know, they had friends who like just up and moved. And so that made it a little bit easier. Whereas here in new England, nobody ever leaves new England. So, I mean, it is, so like moving here was really a challenge because our, 
our two oldest kids when they started high school, there was over 500 kids in their high school and they came home on the first day and they said, dad, there's only four brand new kids at our high school and two of them are us and two of them are kids that used to live here and moved back. And so that was wow. just breaking in to the town that we live in. Just It just took a lot of tenacity, a lot of effort. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how we navigated it with kids. You know, everybody kind of like across the board does a bunch of different things. Um, yeah, we just didn't, um, we just didn't feel like they could shoulder that in that season. So yeah, there's definitely a, a land of uncertainty when you're in that transition period and how you, that can't be indefinite for you as a couple. Like you can't live yeah. in uncertainty forever. That's one thing I've learned over years is like, I would have to go to Bethany and be like, we're going to take three months. We're going to take six, whatever it is we kind of define. And then after yeah. that, we'll reevaluate. But then even our kids, like they, they're just not made to live in that, that's in, in that uncertainty. Um, so yeah. how you navigate with that with them is, is going to be key, key and obviously not to be too prescriptive. Every family is different, but the other yeah. thing you already kind of touched on this when you talked about you and Katie aligning on place. But uh, yeah. another thing that I see sometimes in the Northeast, when people come here to do ministry is like one spouse is like gung ho to plant a church here. And the other one is, you know, you go in their house and it looks like a, a shrine to central Tennessee. Uh, or, yep. you know, so, so that's another thing that yep. you guys had to, you know, make sure like, are we aligned together? Yep. If this is where, where to go. Yep. Um, I know you, you touched on that. Is there anything else you'd add in terms of you and Katie navigating the change? Yeah. I mean, I just think like some of this is personality, but like, we were very deliberate about it. We spent a lot of time talking about it, a lot of time hiking through the desert of Tucson, you know, talking through where we wanted to be, um, what that was even going to look like. Um, and even, I, I think one of the big things you have to really navigate as you leave a place is just grieving the losses that you're going to experience. Like we lived on the same street as our best friends for, for years. Um, you know, and just, like every time we would go to a place for the last time, like I remember the last time I worked out with the same group of guys, you know, four days a week, the very last time I went to the gym, I walked in and I said, Hey, so this is the last time we're ever going to work out together. Like I had to memorialize the moment and be like, this is the last time we're ever going to see each other again. Like, yeah, we may see each other again, but probably not. Like this isn't high school. Like we're not going to see each other again. Um, and, and, and that's okay. Like, so I think you just have to learn how you're going to grieve those things and then know that grief is just going to come up. Um, you know, but even one of the things somebody told me was, you know, when you move to a new place, don't ever say, you know, we're, we're going to go back home, you know, or so they said, you know, like if you're, if home for you, like is in North Carolina, like don't say we're going to go back home. You need to say, we're, we're going to go visit family. Like you have to start talking about the new place that you live in is home. And, and you have to like plant your flag there um, and, and jump in. And I, th I see a lot of people like we would see this happen where people would move to Tucson to plant the church and like, Oh, we're going back home to visit family. You know, Oh, we're going back home. You know, we're going back home to Alabama. And, and what it is, is like, they're, they're, they're teaching themselves. This place isn't home yet. And so you have to really decide where I live now is home. And so that was a big thing for us moving here. Hmm. You know, you made me think about how much we focus on other people accepting us in an area and New England, not necessarily always great at doing that. But I do wonder how much we undervalue what we control, like you said, in our mm -hmm. own conversation, our own mind to say like, no, we're planting our flag here. This is home. Like this is yep. going, like, that's, that's really good. I want to talk about the interview yeah. process um, with a church, which is, can be, oh, I'm sure you have some stories to tell even on that side of things. <laughs> That'll be for uh, another for podcast someday. Oh, but um, <laughs> part of that though, is that, you know, it's, it's an, it, it is an odd process. Um, being yeah. hired at a church is, let's just say it's weird. Uh, and it's also yep. very weird and different for every single context. Uh, yep. But, you know, because on the one hand, we are trying to, um, you know, assure people that this is, that we are competent and that, you know, they want, want people to like us. The danger in that is that we're just trying to get a job and we don't yeah. actually realize that we have a responsibility to be discerning yeah. and asking questions. And uh, I heard you talk about this um, one of the first times I met you. And I just think it's such an important thing. So talk to me about how you think about interviewing a church as a candidate. Yeah, well, first off, I mean, you definitely need to know who you are and be totally upfront about it and be totally fine to take the hit when they tell you you're not it. And that is, it's brutal to be rejected for a job. 
And so, I mean, even, even jobs I didn't, I wasn't excited about if they called and told me I wasn't it, I was still mad about it. You know, it still felt rejection, you know, like rejection, (laughs) even though I actually didn't want it. And so, but I, I see guys all the time who are like, they kind of soften who they are, or they like kind of fudge, like what their personality is. You need to be really clear. Like, this is who I am. This is my influences. This is what, this is how I do church. This is what I believe. Um, you know, don't, because eventually it's going to come out. And so, you you know, so you have to be okay with that. You know, I think as going into interview a church, one of the things I would recommend is always have some people who can ask you some very hard questions that are not emotionally attached to the jobs you're interviewing at. Mm -hmm. So we had a, there was a guy in Tucson that we hiked every week together and he was uh, in his fifties and uh, we're still really good friends. And we would hike and I would just tell him the things I was thinking about the church that I was talking to. And he would just ask great questions and he would just help me to be, help me to see, actually, I really don't want that. <laughs> um, and I would recommend that was helpful for us because it wasn't just Katie who was having to play that role. You know, I, I think because if it's just your spouse saying, I don't know that that's a good fit for us. Do we really want to move there? You can start to go, well, are you not supportive of me? Like, do you not want me to, you know? And so it was just helpful for him to ask, like, do you, do you really want to live three hours in between St. Louis and Chicago? Like where there's no Starbucks, do you really want to live there? Like, and so when you go into interview a church, you know, yes, read all that you can online. Um, you know, read, you know, Google reviews, Yelp reviews, watch services. Um, if you know somebody in that city, find out as much as you can about the church. You know, those are all incredibly important things. Uh, you know, I, I think I, I started to list out questions that I asked every single church. Like I would sit down as a lead pastor candidate. I would ask churches, search teams and elder teams. I would just say, hey, if all of your prayers get answered in the next five years, what does this church look like? Because for me, that's a crucial question because the answers that they give, they are hoping that you will take them there. And so, you know, there was one of the one church that I talked to, they described what they hope their church looked like in five years. And it was a great picture. And I just looked at them at the end of that answer. And I just said, Hey, I said, that's awesome. I am not the guy who's going to take you to that place. And so, you know, and, and to just be willing to close the door on, on things. Um, I, I think that's a crucial question. Um, you know, asking simple questions like what, what are some things you hope change? What are some things you hope don't change? Um, one of the things that I would love to ask is what makes somebody successful here at this church? Um, you know, and get people to define it. And then ask people, you know, when I went to candidate at different churches, I asked as many people as I could, hey, what makes an employee successful here? Um, You know, those are just really, you know, important things. You know, what, um, asking somebody what, what would make somebody not fit in the culture of this church Um, is a really important one. Because you're also listening to how often you get the same answer. You're also listening to if they have a clear answer, if they're like, well, I don't know what would make somebody not fit. That means they don't really know their culture. Um, and so because you're, I mean, you're not just trying to find a job. I mean, you are trying to find a community that you're going to be a part of, you know, so and know that you're putting your best foot forward. The church is putting their best foot forward. Like you're both saying everything that you need to say to get to get this thing done. Um, which doesn't, I mean, it doesn't mean that you're being dishonest. No. Um, it just means that you're saying the things to sell the person. Um, and, and that happens and, you know, on both sides of it. So those are just some things that we learned over time. You know, I, I think too, just knowing what are your, your hills that you die on theologically, philosophically, yep. um, you know, if you're egalitarian, don't go to a complementarian church. Like, I mean, you just like, those are things that will eventually become issues. And, you know, so those are just, I think some of the keys, you know, to interviewing a church um, as much as you can. Um, and, And just asking, like, if you're not the lead pastor, one of the things I always tell people is watch a whole bunch of sermons of the lead pastor and just ask, do I want to sit there and listen to this guy every week? Yeah. And if you don't, don't go work there. Like, mm-hmm. 
I, I mean, you, you're going to be sitting there every week. You know, you can't go sit in the lobby <laughs> and skip the sermon every week. So if you don't want to listen to this guy talk, then don't show up there. Um, you know, so just some of those types of things. Um, Is there I anything with like really leadership important. structure, uh, like staff, leadership, board that you do? Like, I mean, I, I assume that those, <laughs> if you don't, those are often the areas that we get ourselves into problems down the road. Yeah, I think knowing, so you have to know what your theological stance is on church governance, you know, because everybody's got a different opinion on it and they have a different verse for it. And so, and they're all the biblical um, one, you know, so there were, <laughs> yeah, you know, and so, I mean, there were, there were some churches that, you know, like here, here was one and you need to listen for like red flags. Okay. You need to listen for some red flags. Like I talked to one church and the, the elder team, was still mad at the lead pastor who quit and left them. They were still mad about it. And so you need to listen to some of those red flags. You need to listen um, to those types of things. You know, you need to, you know, I, I asked a lot of people, because they always ask, like, who are your influences? Like, what books do you read? So I asked, I would ask them, hey, what books yep. do you read? Great you know, question. who are your influences? And, and if they don't say any of the influences that I have, that's kind of a red flag. Um, you know, it, I have a sleeve tattoo. So I would watch videos to see, does anybody else on stage have a tattoo? And if nobody else on stage had a tattoo, I was like, that may be a hard cultural fit. And, you know, those are just things you have to kind of figure out. Yeah, hundred <clears throat> percent. I think it's, you know, it, you hit on a lot of things there in terms of belief too, like the theological distinctives, like, and, and even on stuff like, you know, we know is uh you know, one thing I say a lot about churches, like there are churches I could attend. There are churches I could mm -hmm. be a member of. There are churches I could be on staff of, and there are churches I could lead. And depending on what seat you're in, you're actually, you, you have to be more aligned because you're now, again, yeah. to use your old analogy of the flag, like you, now you're carrying the flag. Like, this is not yeah. like, you're just like, okay, that's a secondary issue for me. It's not a big deal. I can still attend, even though I disagree on these, these matters. Uh, and churches get in trouble when those corporate convictions are not aligned. Um, yeah. you, you're much better pressing in on those things ahead of time and just having clarity. And, and like you said, I think we're at, at other place, a lot of leaders get in trouble is they just put it, they say, well, I'll fix that when I get there. Yep. And there are things you're going to change and fix, but like, yep. don't overestimate or don't maybe no. make sure you investigate how entrenched those things are before you just yeah. assume that <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah, because all that stuff, I mean, every church has a DNA, has an origin story, and some of that stuff is impossible to change. I mean, the reality is you can change a lot of stuff in a church, but there's also a list of things that no matter how hard you try and no matter how much you work, it will not change. And and you have to be okay with that. You know, I, I think a big one too is just getting into like what, what expectations they have for your family. Yes. And the way I would ask that, I, I would never ask like, well, you know, what's your expectations for my wife? I would ask them, what's your ideal pastoral family? Um, because if you ask like, what are your expectations for my wife? Like they have a lit, they're like, oh, well, you know, she doesn't have to do anything. But if you kind of change the, the question a little bit, then, you, then you're able to sit back and then they start to kind of like dream. They start to think a little bit. Um, and, and so I got a whole slew of answers to that question, you know, and I think the more, the more that you can ask a search team or an elder team questions that get them to start dreaming, you start to hear what their hopes are. And I think that's incredibly important because again, like I said before, whatever their hopes are, they're hoping you're going to take them there. And you have to ask yourself, do I really want to do that? Do I, you know, do I want to go to that place? And, you know, and, and again, you can talk yourself into it and be like, oh, well, they probably don't mean that. No, they do. They really do. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. You know, I, I, the, the flip side of the, the thing about our, I mean, both of us are, are married to very high capacity leaders. Um, sometimes we always posit that question of like thinking, what's, do they have low enough expectations of our spouse? The other side of it is, are they mm. going to be okay if there are seasons where our spouses are going to be engaged in leadership in a high way and how do we yeah. navigate that reality? And I've, I've, you know, and again, that's a similar thing. Like we don't have a Bible verse for that one. So it's going to be culture. Yeah. It's going to be clarity. Um, but where, you know, ambiguity is what you want to be most afraid of. And I've, I've had yep. situations, I've been in jobs where they're like, uh, it was clear, but this is a separate thing in times when it's aligned, but that is another space that you want to make sure that you investigate. 
um, for yeah. you all, if you, if you like to do a ministry together. <laughs> yeah. So. One of the things that was really helpful for us, I had a friend who he does hiring at his company. And he said, one of the things that they do when they're hiring a very high level candidate is he actually assigns people to come back and tell them why they shouldn't hire this person. Like, so one of the very last things they do before they hire somebody is say like, let's talk ourselves out of it. And so one of the things that Katie and I did with a couple of churches that we were getting really far in the process with was we sat down and we said, okay, let's talk ourselves out of this. Why would we not go there? And so it changes how you think about a, a process in a church because you're, you're like looking. And so, so for us, we had, we would sit down and we would get some friends too. Like we'd say, Hey, like we're, you know, we had a group of people praying with us and, you know, so we would send some out and I would sit down with people and be like, Hey, I, I need you to show me, tell me things that I, that I've missed. And they found all kinds of stuff on church websites and stuff, you know, like find some very detailed analytic people that will read every page of a website and it will save you. I'm telling you, it will save you. And there were numerous times that I sat down in some of those conversations and they were like, did you see this? And I'm like, no, I didn't see that. Like, mm. and somehow I didn't see it. And, but that exercise of let's, let's talk ourselves out of this because you're talking yourself into every job because, you know, potentially you're in a situation where you need a job, you know? And so you feel this pressure of, I need a job. And, and that is, that's a really tough spot to be in. Um, but, you know, there is also this question of, and depending on the situation, the answer is different, but like, sometimes like not being somewhere is maybe better than being in the wrong spot. And so, um, you know, just depending on the situation, but talking yourself out of a job, um, that was a really helpful exercise for us, um, to do with some people. Um, I had a friend that went and like, looked back at like church websites, like things that they had taken off, like, you know, went to find like old versions of their website, you know, just to be able to give me some information. And that was invaluable, um, you know, to just kind of see some of the iterations. And I mean, because the thing is, and, and you may think, someone might sit there and think, man, how detailed did you get in this? But the reality is I'm moving my family of five kids across the country. You know, I mean, we decided when we moved here, like, this is the place that our kids are going to high school. And so, you know, typically the place that your kids go to high school ends up being the place that your kids think they're from and potentially meet spouses, lifelong friends. They go to college in that place. So when we moved at this season of our family, we were like, this could be it. Like, yeah. and so it's, it's not just... I'm 22. Let's see what the next job is. Like, I mean, for us, maybe for us being in our forties, we were like, this is a big deal. And so, yeah. um, so we got really analytical and detailed about it. And, uh, just cause I think it's, I think it matters. I think as a bookend on this, on the other side of coming to the Northeast, um, I just want to think about community engagement. And obviously you do have the advantage of having kids at this nexus of, uh, life where sports and like, that's like yeah. in some ways, like, the uh, secret sauce that we get to experience yeah. where we can connect in. But at the same time, you guys have been very intentional about having a presence in the community that your church is in. So yeah. putting the church community aside, broadly Rehoboth and where you guys call home, um, how have you become a part of that community? Yeah. I mean, some of it is just finding out big events that happen in the community, jumping in. I mean, we made all of our kids do sports, um, even though there was, you know, some weeping and gnashing of teeth about that, but we we're like, we're gonna, we're doing a sport or a club. We're all jumping in. And just because like, you have to meet people, you know, because for a while, when we first moved here, before our kids started to get connected, they, they were playing, you know, Fortnite with their friends in Tucson. So they were like, yeah. still like longing to be back there. And and that's, that's good, you know, for a season, but at some point you have to move here, you know, you have to jump in here. And so we just started following, you know, different social media sites, you know, what, what's fun to do in Providence, what's fun to do in Boston, um, just trying to find, you know, farmers markets, just trying to do what people do, you know, asking people in our church, Hey, what's a fun thing to do? What do you, what do you do every year? You know, what, uh, trying to find traditions that people do because, Traditions are very place-based, you know, especially mm -hmm. around the holidays, you know, so finding, you know, everyone's like, oh, you got to do water fire in Providence. You got to do this thing in Providence and, you know, go to this place to hike and this place to see, you know, the foliage and like, 
you have to do the things that people do, you know, and asking like, what are, what's your favorite beach to go to? We're, we're so close to the ocean here. And so, you know, now we've been here for 20 months. We already have our favorite beach. So we have our favorite place to go to, yep. but you have to find those things. And, you know, um, you know, we were joking when we saw each other a couple of days ago, the ice cream culture of new England, like you have to have like your favorite places to go. But you know, we would watch people move to Tucson and not do that. We would watch people move to Tucson and not fall in love with the desert and not fall in love with what people did there. And so you have to figure out what is what makes people stay here and mm-hmm. then do those things. And for us, like with the school, I mean, like I said, no one, no one leaves New England. Um, like they're literally right now, the school district we live in, there are no houses for sale. And like, no one is leaving. And so, which means there's no one moving in. And so it's like, you know, our sons do football. We're at every football game. We're getting to know the coaches. We're at every track meet. Like we're just showing up, being regular, you know, seeing the, seeing the parents, you know, talking to people and just trying to break in. And that's how you break into a community. And it is way easier if you have kids. I can't imagine moving here if we didn't have kids the age that we do you know, it would be a whole different hurdle. But, you know, the people that I've watched over the years move in ministry, if they don't don't jump into that community, then they have a really hard time sticking in that community. So in in my role, I get to be with hundreds of pastors and uh, I just commend you because this happened. But one of the things I see, if, if I'm at a coffee shop or a cafe or something in a town where the church is, does the pastor know anyone there? And I remember we went to a little mm. coffee shop together and you're like firing off some stuff. You've only been there 20 months. And, and even, you know, and, and even the church I grew up in that I remember me with the pastor who's pastoring there now, who's been there for eight years. And it's a town that takes a while to, but when we were at a little, a little diner and everybody came in, they're like, Hey pastor, you know, like they don't go to the church, but like he was now that community. I think not just the power place, but in today's world and a globalized world, that local be a community yeah. pastor, like be a community yep. pastor. And, and I also just want to affirm some of the principles of place. They don't just apply from Tucson. Like you have a pretty, you know, that's a pretty extreme difference. I moved from yeah. West of Boston to New Hampshire. It's a different world. I mean, there yeah. are some of the same, there's more probably in common, but I, I was 38. I learned how to ski because people up here, the winters are, are hard and long and you got to have something to do mm-hmm. for fun. And yep. I, that's also how I connect with my next door neighbors and like those type of things are just part of it. So um, when God moves you, whether it's, you know, yeah. across the nation or one state over or a town over, um, you know, I, and I just also encourage like church pastors as much as you can. It's, you know, sometimes it's hard in the Northeast with the cost of living, yeah. live where your people live and be a part of that place. Um, well, I think really too, like, you know, I think people really underestimate like kind of the underlying cultural narratives of a place. So like, for example, when I'm, when I moved here, I would ask people like, Hey, like what's, you know, trying to understand the, the narratives. And everybody just kept telling me people feel this overwhelming sense of guilt in the Northeast. You know, they just feel this overwhelming sense of like, just not being good enough, not measuring up, like not, you know, whether it's religiously towards God, whether that's for, um, education or finances, like, but just people feel this guilt of like, I should be more. And, you know, as I've kind of navigated where we are, you know, as our church, like, I, I just keep seeing that pop up in people's stories. And what that is, like in Tucson, everyone would move west and they were trying to find something. You know, you'd say, hey, why'd you move west? Like, oh, I'm trying to find myself. Like, I'm trying. To... So everybody moved west looking for something. So at our, at our church in Tucson, we made everything around finding. So like our mission was finding and follow Jesus. You know, it was join a group, you're going to find friends, you know, join a team, you're going to find purpose. Well, if I moved here and said, Hey, you know, join a group, you're going to find friends. People would be like, bro, like I still hang out with the people I went to high school with. Like, I don't need friends. (laughs) And so, so you have to begin to understand what is it that people, when they walk into church, what are they looking for? And, and then how does that frame and shape how we communicate the words that we use? Um, I, I talk very little about finding stuff in, in sermons here um, because that's not at all the ethos of, the, of New England. Um, it, it is just this, you know, this sense of guilt. And so just talking about like, you know, man, like God, God actually loves you and God sings over you and God, you know, God is for you. And 
Well, that's very different, you know, because that's where people are here. And so, you know, I, I just spent, you know, just months when I first got here just saying, hey, like, what, what are some stories? Like, just trying to listen, like, listen mm-hmm. to the words that people, that people use, um, you know, asking other pastors, like, what is it that makes New England, New England? You know, what, what are things, you know, I, I asked you, I ask people all the time, what are like three things that everybody should know about New England? Yep. You know, I, I ask this to people all the time and just trying to learn. Um, what is it that makes you roll your eyes at, at people who are brand new to New England, you know, and, you know, just trying to find out, you know, in funny ways, you know, but, but what I'm learning is I'm learning how to reach people. Like I'm learning how to connect with people and, and what they're looking for. And I think too many pastors, they move and they're like, oh, it's just like Georgia. It's just like, you know, Chicago. No, it's not at all. <laughs> you know, it's just different. And that's, that's the work being a missiologist, you know, yes. that's the work yes. of like understanding how do I do mission here? Because, you know, you can't, you can't do church the same way here as you do in Atlanta. It's just a different world. Yeah, absolutely. No, you've, uh, we've covered a lot of ground, Josh. I want to say thanks for taking the time to, uh, sure. to be on here. Uh, you do, a, um, one, you're an avid reader. So if people should follow you on Instagram, cause, uh, you, uh, you basically have borrowed every book from the Rehoboth library, I think. And then, uh, secondarily, um, you do a lot of writing. Where can people find you online to connect with you that way? Yeah. So you can go to joshuareich.org and you can find all my blog posts, um, books and things like that connect on social media. And so all my stuff is Joshua underscore Reich, uh, trying to bring it all together. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would just commend like uh, people to check that out. There's a lot, I mean, you probably have heard from this conversation, but just some really good handles for people in leadership to be able to grab onto and to be able to apply into their context. So thanks for taking the time, Josh. I I have really enjoyed getting to know you and Katie and even our kids got to hang out at camp last summer, yeah. which is awesome. And yep. um, it's been a joy. I'm excited to see the journey that God's going to continue to lead you on. And thanks for being helpful to other leaders through this conversation today. Yeah. Thanks, man. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Evergreen Way podcast. On behalf of our entire team at Converge Northeast, it is a privilege to bring you these conversations to help you be a healthy leader for the long haul. We would love to connect with you. Find us on Instagram at Converge Northeast and send us a message. That's an easy way to connect with us. Or you can send me an email directly, Andy at convergenortheast.org. We'd love to know what you think of the podcast, ideas you might have, or even suggestions for potential guests in the future. Please remember to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you would, do us the favor, leave us a review. Let us know what you think and help other people discover this resource. Until next time, this is Andy Needham with Converge Northeast. Thanks so much for tuning in.